Hey folks, Zach Osman here, Iowa Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Sunday, September 11th, uh, 8.37 p.m. Dustin, it is our uh, sort of Sunday night podcast. Again, we're, we're, we're trying to really kind of be better about the schedule with this, particularly this football season. Obviously, basketball moves some things around, but I think you can pretty reliably, hopefully, uh, expect us to do one of these on Sunday nights after football games and one of these on Thursday afternoons after Tom Allen's last press availability of the uh, uh, of the the, uh, the week. And tonight we're discussing Indiana 35, Idaho 22. Dustin, it, it wasn't pretty. Um, it, it's funny. It sort of feels like it stands. Uh, it's interesting to juxtapose it to Indiana's game against Idaho last year, which I think the scoreline was a lot more impressive. The defensive performance was a lot more impressive, and yet you felt like if you really drilled in, there was probably still a lot that was, you know, frankly, pretty unconvincing about Indiana against Idaho. Um, whereas in this game, I think there's some really good things that happened. Sean Shivers looked awfully explosive when you gave him some seams. Connor Bazelak really struggled in the first half. You mentioned Saturday night in our, our video, much better after Things dried off a little bit, but 10 of 12 in the third quarter um, was just, just you know, really outstanding once he kind of found a rhythm. And yet, you know, whereas last year, I think a lot of people hoped they could use that Idaho game to sort of tell themselves Indiana was okay. Um, and, it, and, and that proved not to be the case. This year, I think Idaho's raised a lot more questions than answers. Um, despite the fact that, well, obviously, I think Indiana won, what, 56 to 14 last year, the final score is different. Ultimately, for a team that, that frankly, at, at some level, really just needs to worry about wins and losses, the outcome is the same. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think um, th- this is this is a better Idaho team. I mean, I think we can establish that, you know, they go from um, beating, uh, you know, they gave Washington State a game and then Washington State just, um, you know, beats up on Wisconsin. So, Clearly, uh, clearly, this is a more talented Idaho team. It, it, you know, I think uh, having a new coach. I mean, so so it is a different scenario. But I mean, obviously, when you're when you were looking at things, uh, you know, just different aspects of the game, um, you probably ultimately learn more from this one. I, I think there were things that you could circle of okay, that that's better in that last game uh, in in the last year's Idaho game. Obviously, you saw Stephen Carr at that point. That was sort of his moment where you're like, oh, Stephen Carr might be a good tailback. Um, but I think a lot of people went into that sort of hoping for a sort of up or down vote on Michael Penix, uh, not so much an up or down vote, but just wanted to see more of this guy's better, right? Like he's, he's done with the injury. He's fine. He's okay. Uh, you know, because that Iowa thing was pretty bad and you didn't see him get a lot of opportunity because, you know, I think there were, there was at least a punt blocked. I think there was a kickoff return. Um, and you basically, the game got out of hand w- without you really seeing much from Michael Panics. Um, you know, this game is obviously different. Connor Bazelak is in the game and all, all the way until the second half. And you see a really bad version of Connor Bazelak. And then you see a pretty good one. I mean, to go from what I think seven of 17 in the first half to, uh, you know, 10 of 12 in the third quarter, um, you know, you six of 17 in the first half. Six. Yeah. I mean, like it was brutal. So he goes from brutal to pretty sharp after that. Um, and so one thing you saw a, a huge, like, as you mentioned, huge difference in him uh, when it was dry. Um, so obviously that's a concern in and of itself that, okay, if it rains, is this going to be Connor Basilak? Is that going to be what you get? Um, you know, if, if you get some, if the ball gets slick here, is he going to become just totally useless? Uh, you know, that's obviously its own issue. But I mean, I think you saw, you know, saw more, you know, 
first string guys getting an opportunity to make plays. Uh, certainly in the second half, DJ Matthews gets some big ones. There's there's a few more things you could circle. Again, you see something real from Sean Shivers. And again, obviously, it's it's not a Big Ten defensive line that you're dealing with there. And that's part of the reason why you're able to get him some holes and get him out in space. But you saw some real speed there. You saw some real ability to make some cuts. And whether the running game is going to be good um, is, is hard to say still, because I don't think anything that you, you can't take away much from the offensive line from that game. Um, but you can say, okay, Shivers is at least a functional every down running back. He is a guy that if, if you're going to get anything out of anybody in there, I mean, you, you, you know, then, you know, Shivers is a perfectly fine guy to have back there. So uh, I, I think there were some questions that were answered in the affirmative, um, but obviously still some just general shakiness and, you know, some ugly moments on defense um, and ultimately a, a, a more competitive Idaho team than you saw a year ago. I think the ugly moments on defense more than anything, I, I return to something, you know, when we talked to Tom Allen on Thursday, he basically admitted that, you know, kind of Tuesday, Wednesday, he, he basically screamed his voice out. Um, I mean, like, like he was hoarse, very hoarse, even more than he normally is. And he admitted that he'd done that because he was worried basically that, that, that Indiana was going to be, um, was, was, not going to be sharp enough for this game. And, you know, the way he phrased it was we wanted to keep intensity up in practice through the week. But it feels like, particularly in a week like this, where where a team could be forgiven for, okay, an emotional week one win, come from behind last minute over Illinois, get the whole sort of conference, you know, losing streak monkey off your back, you know, win in front of your home fans. All I got, like, I, I thought more and more that, like, the win in front of the home fans thing may have meant a lot more to that group because they did not get to share any of those moments against Aaron 2020 with their fans. Like what was the last genuinely rousing victory Indiana had at home? It was probably like, I mean, you'd have to go back to 2019 at least. And even then all their home games in 2019 were kind of walks. Like I think we're probably going back to 2018 when they beat Virginia the last time they had a moment like that at home against, you know, uh, you know, in, in, in a game that they won, despite the fact that we have seen Indiana beat Nebraska in that time, we obviously saw everything in 2020. We saw them go to a double overtime with Purdue. All that stuff either happened behind closed doors or it happened, you know, on the road. Their, 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 their most important wins at home in 2019 were 35 nothing against Rutgers a romp over UConn and uh, a just sort of a jog past a really bad Northwestern team. So you could understand where a lot of, you know, maybe this sort of complacency would come from, but it was clear from Allen, even just his admission that he felt like he needed to do something differently last week to keep everybody more intense, um, that he felt like that was going to be a problem. And, you know, listen, you can sit here and say, well, if that's a problem now, then it's going to be a problem, you know, forever. That's not necessarily true. Like, you know, I mean, the, the absolute best teams treat every opponent the same. Indiana is not one of the absolute best teams. It's not, it should not be a shock if Indiana is bad against Idaho, but better against Cincinnati if you understand what I'm saying, like the worst win Indiana played the worst, the worst game Indiana won in terms of performance in 2019 was probably ball state. 
And it was week one, not week two, but it was early in the season. They made mistakes. Michael Penix threw a couple bad picks. They had a bunch of missed tackles. They only won by 10 points to what turned out to be a pretty mediocre Ball State team. But they did win. And what really I think matters more than anything else, I'm kind of rambling a bit, but it's it's just this question of, did Indiana struggle against Idaho because they're not very good? And I'm not, I want to be really clear, I'm not suggesting Indiana's great but they can be a perfectly passable football team and compete for a bowl berth this year based on what else we see on their schedule, Nebraska, Maryland, Rutgers, et cetera. Were they, did they struggle against Idaho because they're not very good or did they struggle against Idaho because there was always going to be a come down from Illinois and Idaho's better, as you said, than probably any of us would have thought going into the season. Not great, but better you know, feisty or tougher. Um, and those two things just kind of collided on a day when a lot of other teams did not avoid upsets. It doesn't have to be all one or the other. You just wonder where on the sliding scale the truth kind of falls between is it because Indiana isn't great isn't or isn't very good, or is it because Indiana, while obviously you, you never want to accept this as a coach, you can understand where it comes from that Indiana – it's going to be just a little bit, you know, kind of zoned out about a game like this. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I, I, like I said, I, I think there's a bunch of factors. I, mean, I think if I had to pick one factor for why they weren't very good, it's still the weather. Um, I, I just don't think they responded to it. And I particularly don't think their quarterback responded well to it. Um, I, I think that's the biggest difference. You know, they were, I, I think the defense had some good moments. I thought running the ball, they were okay, but just having virtually zero passing game in the first half takes them out of that. I mean, I think they're, they're going to have to win throwing the football. Um, and if, if they're going to blow anybody out, that's how they're going to do it. And, and once they got throwing the ball in the second half, you know, once you gave Connor Bays like a clean football, he was fine. Um, and so I think that's the biggest difference, but the, there was, I think maybe a sense of overlooking them. And, and this is the only team they're going to overlook. And the reason they're going to overlook them again is because they beat them 56 to 14 in a bad season. Um, you know, that was the only team they walked over last year. So even Western Kentucky, they're going to look at and say, you, you almost got beat last year. You know, they, they know it. They know what it was like to play that team. They know how frustrating they can be. I know it's going to be a different team and stuff like that, but they're still going to fling it around. Um, and so they go in knowing that they've seen that they eked out obviously a win over Western Kentucky last year. So they're going to go in knowing that. And I they, they, they could look at Idaho and say, you know what, even when we were terrible, we still beat Iowa 50, Idaho. I mean, you know, e- even when we were terrible, we still beat Idaho 56-14. This got to be easy. Um, and, you know, it's it, it wasn't. So, I mean, that is a wake-up call. But, like, that's – yeah, that's not going to be – When they turned it on, it should be said it was. Like, when they turned it on, that third quarter, it was 23 to nothing, and the sequence was basically like – It was five touchdowns. They had five offensive drives, and they had five touchdowns. I mean, like, if, if you look at just the third quarter sequence of drives, it went – and I'm just reading this – out loud obviously because you can like everyone can tell idaho goes three and out gains no yards indiana eight plays 70 yards touchdown idaho two plays minus 25 yards safety indiana four plays 64 yards touchdown idaho three plays seven yards punt indiana five plays 72 yards touchdown idaho six plays 16 yards turnover on downs uh, and then Indiana six plays 41 yards touchdown. And then you get into the fourth quarter where Indiana kind of eased up again. But the point is like when Indiana turned it on, like after this, what was supposed to be sort of this come to Jesus halftime, like, you know, Tom Allen said, like I was 
you know, basically said I was mad and I resolved to get mad at them. And I told all my coaches to get mad at them too. Like it wasn't, it was not like I just go in and act like we're going to keep an even keel and figure it. Like he said, like I wanted to blister the paint off the walls is basically what he was saying. That's paraphrasing. But um, you know, when they turned it on, they did blow them out. It's just that they turned it, they, they, they did not turn it on for most of two quarters. Then they flipped it on everywhere and just, hammered them for about 18 minutes then they turned it off again and Iowa scored a couple of late ones yeah and again like clean track clean ball did matter you know like I mean it, it I mean and, and maybe we're understating it I mean it was it was miserable out there it looked like a place you'd I mean like I I, I said when that game started I was really fortunate to be in a, in a press box because it looked like hell and, you know, like they just and, and, and I guess it does does though bear repeating, you know, because of how this team operates. I don't know if it's going to be good without a clean track. I think it's going to be an issue if they run into weather somewhere down the line. Um, they could have a problem. I mean, like, I mean, it, it, again, it was it, it wasn't as simple as flipping a switch. It got a lot easier to flip the switch. You know, it was it was a di- different elemental ball game. And once it was once all the receivers could run the routes they wanted to run, once Basil could put the ball where he wanted to put it they were a different team. And, but it's just like, they've got to be able to, you know, throw the ball down the field. Um, and you know, that that's how they're going to win football games. It's the only way they're going to blow people out is they've got to be able to, to have a vertical passing game. And, you know, like when it, they had a really hard time doing that when it was slick. And so everything else got mug, mugged up um, and they couldn't, you know, they, they could not move the football. And once they could, it was, it was just like a weight got lifted off. You know, they were capable in ways that they, they just hadn't been prior. I don't think. Sorry, I'm looking for the mute button there. I I, I, I am sort of curious about Connor Bazelak. I mean, um, it's in a lot. I mean, listen, it's a small sample size. It's a new offense. It's a new team, et cetera. Um, it's not his best start, or at very least, it's, it's not like he's suddenly just massively outperforming other aspects. Now, there are a few things about this. He's on pace for career highs in both touchdowns and interceptions. If you literally just multiply all his numbers by six, like if we, if we just say like over 12 game season, um, he's never completed in a, in a full season. And he's had basically two seasons where he played substantial snaps in college, fewer than 65.3% of his passes right now. He's only at 54.3%. Um, he is on pace again, if we're just multiplying everything by six, for a career high in yards as well, though he is averaging fewer yards per pass than he ever has before. This is the lowest quarterback rating uh, of his career to date. Again, I recognize it's just two games. Um, he's only taken one sack, which is interesting to me because that is like he only took he took 12 sacks in 2020. He took 13 in 2021. You know, on a team where we talk a lot about offensive line issues, the fact that he's only taken one sack in two games when he has been the drop back quarterback in both those games, he, he, you know, he, he played all game yesterday. Like they didn't, they didn't pull him out at any point um, is kind of interesting to me. And if you look at his numbers in the big 10, they stack up. Okay. I mean, he's fifth in the conference in yards. Um, you know, he's, he's again, his quarterback rating isn't amazing. Um, it's 11th in the league. It feels like there's got to be a little bit something more there from Connor Bazelak. He's not been awful. I think it's important. Like he's he's not been terrible. 
And he has had those moments, the last drive against Illinois, the third and early fourth quarters against Idaho, where you're like, wow, there it is. That that it works. That's it working. He's he's comfortable with all his guys, spread the ball around a little bit more in this game. Clearly likes Cam Camper a lot, but got AJ Barner involved. Emory Simmons had a couple of catches. Donovan McCulley was targeted a little bit more. Um, he has moments, and it's only two games, but you do feel like you you need to see a better version of him to kind of believe in IU as a team that's going to score enough points to go to a bowl game, especially when you couple a concerns about maybe the, the effectiveness of the run game with B question I raise all the time, which is how sure are we that running the football is Indiana's absolute ultimate sort of end all be all goal. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, I think, um, Bazelak keeps floating, I think, some interesting things about just his when he's good and when he isn't. Um, and, and like there's there's like kind of these like little admissions from time to time that he sort of needs to kind of take a breath, like that, that he'll have stretches where it just feels like it's getting away from him. And he's got to sort of take a breath. And once he can kind of relock in and reset and reboot, he can get, kind of get himself right. Um, and and, uh, you know, I, I, I see a lot of accuracy in that. Um, that there are when he's just like, like he, he has periods when he's just kind of frazzled, you know, when he's just a little bit off and like, it's usually a couple throws, you know, it's not like one and he shakes it off and it's over. It's like, he, he can get in a little bit of a funk and he sort of has to like kind of stop himself, restart, you know, get, get it back right again, hit one, and then he can get a rhythm. And once he gets a rhythm, he can hit three, four, five in a row. And it's funny because, like, I mean, personality-wise, he he does seem, you know, they, like I I, I like uh, I, I think AJ Barner called him unfazed Bays last night, and I think that's how they view him. I know it's it's terrible, but <laughs> like it's not, terrible. It's not, it's not good. No, it's it's we not to, good. Somebody needs to workshop this. Yeah, exactly. Someone needs to work on that. It's there, but but one way or another, that's the sentiment that they have. Like in terms of how they view him, they view him as a person who is largely emotionless um and you know isn't uh you know just just keep steady regardless of what it is and that's how he seems to act i mean we, we see a lot of him he's not a very you know like he does not have the he, he you know the biggest personality on the team he's probably one of the more reserved guys he's definitely one of the more reserved guys out of the group for sure um and so you don't see a lot of like just fire in there, but, but there's some value to that as a quarterback of just keeping steady, but that's sort of the outward show. And sometimes there's an inward of like, Oh my God, you know, and like that, that he has to kind of settle in within himself. He doesn't kind of show that inner conflict, but it happens. And it's like, okay, like he'll miss a couple and be like, well, okay. All right. You know, and he's capable of resetting himself, but it doesn't always happen immediately. It's not like, okay, one bad throw and he can forget about that and shake it off. Like he can, feel it going south and it takes him a minute to kind of pull the plane up um before he gets right and and i think you know again i, I think that was another case if you, you you see that that he'll have stretches when he's 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 off you know he's way off he's missing you know makeable ones um and you saw that even against illinois you know there were there were makeable throws that he missed um and you know the, the other piece of that is that he doesn't have the raw athleticism to you know make stuff happen out of nothing i mean he can keep a play alive long enough to throw the ball away you know if that that's his level of mobility is you know dodge a guy duck around a guy slip somebody or just recognize that the pocket is about to collapse and get rid of the football before it becomes an issue 
Um, but you know, he's not going to make plays with his legs. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of what you got, I think. I mean, like, I, I think there's more for him to get, I think he can be better. Um, but I, I think those are a couple of things that you kind of got to take with who he's going to be is that, that he's going to have maybe some stretches where he's missing, um, you know, where, where he's a little bit off and it, he needs to get sort of reset that you might have kind of a low in the minute there where he misses on three or four that he should hit. Um, but he can, he can eventually, you know, right the ship, get right and hit four or five in a row when you need him to. Um, so, you know, but that, that's going to be like, there is some streakiness to him, even though he doesn't have what you would consider to be a sort of streaky personality or mindset, he can get streaky and, you know, you're only getting what he completes because there's just not going to be a lot that happens, uh, that he's going to make happen in the backfield. Um, that's, that's going to add much to your offense. What you see, what you get out of him throwing the football is what you're getting out of him. I do think that it is also worth talking a little bit about his his targets. Uh, I thought DJ Matthews, obviously for somebody only had three catches, had a decent day, made a couple of really, really good catches. AJ Barner had that touchdown pass where we both talked about it. It looked like he was just going to get roasted across the middle. And instead guys just kind of bounced off. him. I think that's obviously Idaho is not a big 10 team, but it, it is a moment when you, you do sort of look at it and say, okay, maybe that's what Tom Allen's talking about when he says he thinks AJ Barner can be as good as any tight end Indiana's ever had is, you know, and, and when you stand near him, I mean, he's incredibly physically sort of impressive. That doesn't mean a lot on its own. But then when you see him go do that against other college football players, whatever they, whatever level they come from, it's sort of like, OK, like, you know, you're just other other well-trained athletic human beings just sort of right. off of you. Yeah. Um, Cam Camper did not have a great day and I'm not picking on him solo. He had 12 targets and four catches. Some of those targets were errant throws. Some of them were a little bit sort of like looking at Cam Camper a little bit, not like scolding him or chastising him if you're Indiana, if you're, you know, on the staff, but sort of being like, hey, if you want to be the man, like, you know, your quarterback clearly sees you that way. We need you to be a little bit better. He had a couple drops. He also had a couple moments where it felt like maybe a slightly more competitive play gets Indiana a big catch. And, and in, you know, games like this, it's sort of like, listen, you're, you're going to win the game, even if you play badly, but it's, it's getting the mental sort of repetition of making that play, you know, the play that gets the third down first down, the play that moves you up the field, that breaks you out of the offensive funk, because in the same way that when you're doing it in a non-conference game in basketball, you're trying to simulate some sort of muscle memory you can draw from in, in February and March, you want a little bit more of that there. And I still would contend, and some of this is on base lack as well, but Donovan McCulley, two targets, one catch. Emory Simmons, two two targets, uh, two catches. Anderson Kobe had a couple drops. Um, you know, you, you still want to see from a group that that did feel sort of much of its muchness and clearly has some genuine potential, athletic potential. Um you just feel like you want to see a little bit more consistency from that group, but it is also worth saying we're, we're basically two games into a lot of those guys, Indiana careers at wide receiver and, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, you would have hoped that Idaho is the game when, when you get right. Um, that, that, that those guys have an opportunity to show off. And again, uh, you know, the weather has a lot to do with that, that, you know, if, if you get a whole game of, you know, a clean track and, and you, you know, put them away in the first couple drives, then, you know, then, then you're, 
getting, you know, making a point to get Anderson Kobe some catches, making a point to get Emory Simmons some catches, making a point to get Donovan McCullough some catches. Instead, in the third quarter, when you really need to make a couple plays to turn the tide, you look for DJ Matthews, who's your best player. And so, um, you know, who, who could be your best player, basically. And, and Matthews, Matthews made three catches and they were spectacular. Um, you know, th- those are just to- total game changing plays, you know, from the out route that was really slick to the one hander over the middle that was really impressive. And then, you know, the, the touchdown on the slant route. I mean, those are three just big time plays. And what I mean, he had been, he would just been totally quiet in the first half, you know, but when they find like those three plays, you know, just totally turn the tide right there. That's like, a, you know, a, you know, one of those moments where like, you know, Indiana is saying we have this guy and you don't. And, you know, th- this is where we're going to make a difference here. Um, and so th- those are, again, some some big time moments that Matthews can look at and say that you can look at with Matthews and say, but this is a guy that um, is is a real game changer for them. Um, and, you know, they, they ne- don't have enough time to really get rolling with you know, um, till, till you're really throwing to a Kobe. It's like they were still relying on his main guys um, and, and Shivers and Barner and, and everything like that. And it never really got to, okay, let's, let's involve some of the rest of them. Um, and I do, th- I mean, like it, it is important. I, it, it is important for them to, you know, like you, you, you I, th- I think for Macaulay, if, if they believe that he can be what they want him to be, you know, if they really believe in his opp- opportunity to be like, one of the better receivers Indiana's had just based on his raw talent. Uh, he's got to get some moments. Um, you know, he's, he's got to make some big plays. He's got to feel what it's like to just toast somebody or, you know, just take a ball away from somebody or something like that, or just, just have his athleticism relied on and trusted um, and turn that into some big play stuff. So, I mean, it is stuff that they've got to work in, but I think they were still in a case where, you know, uh, at the beginning of the third quarter, you're still looking at your best player to turn the game around because you're still in doubt at that point. Um so yeah, no, I think it, it is though. I think important that there are. Jeez, I'm sorry, my dog's making noise. She's doing stuff. Um, that um, there are big important plays that. Um, <laughs> sorry, I need to get right. Uh, they need to involve everybody else. But basically, we're still at a point where they were still having to lie, rely on their major playmakers you know, while the game was still enough. I'll talk for a minute, so Dustin, you know, figure out whatever Maxine is, is getting into. Uh, the the the. You know, kind of touching on the defensive side, I think if there's if there's one big concern, and, and maybe this again, it's giving them some benefit of the doubt, but it, it does feel like it's maybe reflective of um the idea that that Indiana's performance in this game was as much about sort of complacency and a lack of focus as it was about talent level, skill level, you know, long-term sort of disposition in terms of the season. Indiana's defense really did not dominate this game the way that you thought it might. And again, I, I think respect to Idaho, they're clearly better than they were a year ago. They pushed Washington State to the brink, and then Washington State went to Madison and won. I, I think that does mean something this time of year. I don't know if it means something in November, but like you're all who you are as football teams right now. You know, it's it's September. Everybody's still raw. Everybody's still figuring, especially when you're talking about like Washington State, Idaho, Indiana, teams that would have a probably a pretty wide range of outcomes going into this season. Like, you know, that means something now, again, it may not mean as much in November. Um, Indiana got bullied a little bit though. I thought running the football, not a ton. Listen, Idaho still averaged 2.9 yards per carry and nobody averaged more than 4.2. But there were a couple of drives where you felt like Indiana got pushed around a little bit. Giovanni McCoy had uh, three touchdown passes. Um, it, It did feel like this and Indiana did not produce a turnover in this game, um, which, which I think was probably particularly irksome for Tom Allen. 
they only had four tackles for loss the entire game. They did have three sacks and, and they're kind of, uh, you know, early in the season up in the sack charts in the big 10, both in terms of total sacks and sacks per game. They've had three in each of their first two. Um, but the defense I think was concerning in bits though. I think there were two players that, that jumped out. Aaron Casey continues to, I don't want to say he's just Michael McFadden 2.0. He's not, but you were worried about this, this, big hole at linebacker you know you, you could you knew you could trust cam jones and it seems like he has stepped up a level from last season um and you you felt like there were experienced players there between transfers and returners but the idea of replacing micah mcfadden was was pretty pretty daunting and aaron casey um to his credit has done a pretty decent job so far um, he is in the top 10 in the big 10 in tackles for loss. Um, he is, I think I want to say like top 30 ish somewhere in the ice 25th in total tackles. Again, it's early doors. I get that. Um, but you at least feel like Cam Jones has a real running mate there at linebacker. And then the other one's Desan McCullough. I mean, there, are, you know, there are so many, there were so many moments Saturday night where it just felt like his size and athleticism changed things. Like I, I think about how often Indiana has tried to blitz Noah Pierre at the Husky. And I do just sort of wonder if Noah Pierre is like almost a little too small to effectively blitz wide side because it's too easy to throw over him in a way that maybe you, you couldn't throw over Marcelino ball, but the, you know, Desan McCullough is on the other end, which is he doesn't have to get the sack to force the play to fail because he is so long, he's so athletic, his instincts are incredible. And you just see the way that he moves. Yeah, he's one of those players that just seems to move faster and more fluidly and more athletically than anybody else in the field. And I know there are people who say, oh, well, his dad's gone, so he's just going to leave. He's going to do this. Gonna, I'm not going to promise you he's going to have a five-year Indiana career, but he's still here. So, you know, I, I don't really get people who are just like, oh, well, he's just going to transfer to Notre Dame. I mean, I, first of all, if he was just going to do that, I feel like he would have done it by now. Second of all, he's here now. Like, you know, this is the 2022 Indiana football season. He's in it, and he looks – like he's going to be a real handful on that defense as roles start to settle out and guys start to sharpen up. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and I think you knew he was going to be, could be an impact guy for Indiana. I don't know if you knew it was going to be this fast and in this different ways. I mean, for them just decide, okay, like this is going to be our Swiss army knife and we're going to trust him as a true freshman. We're going to line him up here. We're going to line him up there. And we're, we're basically, you know, like T Garden, you know, Casey T Garden basically said to us when we were talking to him about it that like it's not so much that they designed the defense around him, but or they even designed packages for him, but they definitely like, okay, like where can you use Dasan and for what? Um, and yeah, they, like when you call him a Swiss Army knife, like that's not necessarily like yeah. by design. They didn't recruit him that way, they just got him and they were like, We can't keep this guy off the field. Like, we just right. gotta find places to play him. Right. I mean, but they but they did know that because, I mean, he had played safety in high school. He was playing edge last year for South um, and, you know, he's six, five, you know, two thirty. So he's not, you know, doesn't have the traditional defensive end body. He's not that big, but he's way longer than your usual linebacker, um, you know, way longer than your usual safety. And so it's like, OK, like in a way he doesn't fit anything, but in a way he fits everything. And so you're like, all right, well, what, what can, what all can you do with this? Like there's, there's a lot of options and they're taking advantage of them. And it's also, again, you know, the, the intellect, I mean, he's just, I mean, generally he would be a, you know, smart kid, regardless of what his dad did. Um, but the fact that he has been around X, the X's and O's of football for his whole life 
he gets this and he i mean you really like i mean it, it's it's um conversations you have with the son are just way higher level than you're used to having with a high school freshman you know it's it again i mean if you talk, he's a high school freshman it would be yeah, sorry college freshman um you know or, or or in last year's case a high school senior i mean like he just just operates talks the game at a higher level because he's a coach's kid but i mean like i you know um I, I believed it when I asked. I mean, I, I asked the question, okay, this on, like, you know, you, like, everybody thought you were going to leave and you're still here. So, you know, what what went through your mind at this? You know, what were you thinking? Were you considering leaving, whatever? And he was just like, literally, man, nothing changed for me. He says, I didn't commit to Indiana just to play for my dad. I committed because I wanted to play at Indiana and I trust Tom Allen. Um, and, you know, I believe him. Um, you know, that's not to say there's a 0% chance he ends up, you know, eventually going to Notre Dame. I mean, I think it'll, you know, what will matter eventually is, uh, you know, team success and stuff like that. And if, if, you know, Notre Dame obviously is coming off a loss to Marshall, but if they write the ship and I don't know, go 10 and two after that, um, you know, like, and Indiana goes like four and eight or something like that, you know, he might sit there and think to himself, like, do I really want, you know, four years of four and eight, or do I want to go to Notre Dame and go to the Fiesta Bowl? you know, like he might change his mind, but right now, again, he's in this, this season, he's got an Indiana uniform on. So at the very least, if you're an IU fan, uh, you know, at, at least enjoy him while you got him. I mean, yeah, he, like just, he, yeah. he could be gone in three years for other reasons. Right. Like, yeah. Right. What if, what if he stays and in three years he goes to the NFL, like just stop. This is, this is something that, that, that as someone who spends time and I'm going to go on a little Ted talk and then we'll stop. Cause well, we know why this is Indiana fans expect to have their heartbreak. No, I, I get that. But there's, there's also just this, like, I don't see this in, European soccer, this um, this American need to only talk about what's next. Like it's there's there's no enjoying the moment. There's no like that was great. Celebrate that. Have a parade for that. It was always like our like the the first thing. What's the first thing that drops on ESPN after the national championship game? The first thing is the way too early time early time for the next season. Same for you know that we I mean we inevitably during the NCAA tournament we will write at least two maybe as many as like four stories about teams that get eliminated before the final four that we say could be the number one overall team in the country the next year they lost today but think about what they could be next year my point is it is it is not uniquely American but it is distinctly American this idea of I'm not going to allow myself to enjoy what I have right now because I'm always only worried about what's next. There's, there's undeniably a part of being a sports fan that should ask the question of, well, how's recruiting going? Because we want the long term to be healthy and this and that. But like in this moment here, you, you got a kid who's got two sacks in two games. He should frankly have more than that because he probably should have been credited with at least a half a sack in the Illinois game. He looks like a monster. He could have left already if he wanted to. And he's still here. And if anything, he was one of the guys most vocal about keeping that recruiting class together after the two and 10 season, even as his dad was leaving IU for Notre Dame. So like, I'm not guaranteeing he's staying. I'm not guaranteeing he's staying past this year. I'm not guaranteeing he's going four years. Like you said, like it could, could be one of those guys that only needs three years for the NFL to be like, yep, come on down. But like, just, to, just enjoy it right now. You got like, there's 10 more games in this season. Stop worrying about what's going to happen in 2023. You've got a, a potential, you know, all Big Ten caliber freshman that 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 really is the sort of player that this defense has not had. Like that's one of the things we've talked about the idea of Indiana not having a double digit sack guy, and I'm not saying he's going to be one, but uh, but a, a player who was just so athletically distinct in terms of his size, his speed, his instincts, 
as you talk about, it's unnat- you know, unnatural in his age because he's just just how smart he is in the game. And a lot of that probably is his dad and his family. It's also worth remembering his older brother had years of college football experience as well that he could hand down to him before he ever stepped foot in a college campus. So like, okay, it's not surprising, but he is so much smarter than kids his age should be. He is more composed when you, like you said, when you talk to him, conversations you have with him are really, really impressive. And he's, and he's insightful without, you know, sitting there and being like, here's the playbook. Let me explain it all to you. Like, he still gets the game, he, but but he could, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, he understands how to talk in cliches, but but he's thoughtful, he's articulate, and he's also just incredible on the football field. Like, just enjoy it because this is the sort of player that can turn a season, that can take you from oh yeah, the defense was recovered from not being very good last year to no, it's pretty solid to like, what if you had this player, and and unlike at Ohio State where maybe he's one of five or six guys and he gets buried a little bit at Indiana he gets to play every week and he gets better fast and he changes enough games for you that you wind up going from five and seven to seven and five so just enjoy it like just just enjoy it and I I know IU football fans as you said are naturally sort of predisposed to it um, I, I know exactly how that feels as someone who watched the Falcons blow a sixteen point fourth quarter lead at home to their rival this this afternoon and then watch the Braves score five runs in the ninth inning only to blow a save in the bottom half about two and a half hours after that happened still just enjoy it um let's cut it off there I'm sorry to end this on a yeah. rant I'm yeah just, there's a whole someone will definitely tell us that it's it's it, like the reason Americans are like that are because of American media so I just want to acknowledge that that's the case that's fair. Um, you could go into a whole you know whole range not, as to why that is, but that's probably not completely yes. wrong. They're probably not completely wrong. But tonight, I just want you all to have fun. <laughs> Dustin Pirak, Zach Osterman, this has been Mind Your Banners for September 11th, 2022. We'll be back on Thursday after we hear from Tom Allen following his final press conference of the week. Western Kentucky, a big game. But as I said to you last night, Dustin, they all feel like big games from here on in. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you soon.